0: Hey everyone, my name is Noble and I'm the Connections Pastor here at The River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to connect with you and your family. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect to 97000 or you can go online to our website, theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to The River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go online to our website and click the giving tab. Thanks again for joining us today, and I hope you're blessed by the message. Matthew chapter number 5, let's pick up in verse number 38. And this is Jesus speaking, and Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus is teaching here. And what we know is the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know exactly the specific mountain or hillside that Jesus was teaching on. But it was somewhere in Galilee. And so the crowds had begun to follow Jesus. Jesus had begun to gain fame because he was a miracle worker. People were drawn to him because he taught in a very authoritative way, a different way than the scribes and the Pharisees taught. And so people began to follow Jesus. And so Jesus sees the crowd, and at the beginning of chapter 5, we see Jesus actually walking away from the crowd, and he sits down, And he begins to teach his disciples. It's important as we jump into this passage, particularly today, I think, is that we understand that Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to people who have said, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's the main target, if you will, the bullseye audience that Jesus is speaking to. So, verse 38 again begins with this phrase, You have heard that it was said. So several times going back to verse number 21 and on, you'll see these kind of two parallel or these two phrases that kind of uh, introduce and and transition the point. You'll hear Jesus say, you have heard it said. So Jesus is going to reference something from the Old Testament. Sometimes Jesus is going to quote exactly from the Old Testament. Sometimes Jesus is going to take a principle from the Old Testament and speak about it. So here Jesus said, you have heard that it was said An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, there are a few phrases in here that you may recognize. You may realize that certain phrasing that we use or expressions that we use, things like an eye for an eye or uh, going the extra mile or giving someone the shirt off your back, those types of phrases that we would use find their roots in the teaching of Jesus. But let's hold our spot in Matthew. Let's go to the left into the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number 21. So the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter number 21. And we're going to see this, the introduction of this principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Exodus chapter number 21. In verse number 23 and 24, the Bible says, But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for for stripe. You can leave Exodus, go to the left, or excuse me, go to the right, another book, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 24. Leviticus chapter number 24, and verse 19 and 20. Bible says, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. And then a little bit more to the right, jump over the book of Numbers and go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter number nineteen, Deuteronomy nineteen verse twenty-one. Deuteronomy 19.21. The Bible says, Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So this is a a principle in in the kind of the Latin. It's lex talionis. And historians will say it's one of the most ancient codes of justice. So what eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth means is the punishment needs to match the crime. So when we look at Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, what we're seeing specifically in Exodus up to Deuteronomy is we're seeing God establish core principles for society. For 400 years, the people of Israel had been in Egyptian slavery. So they're coming out of slavery, and now God is saying, this is how society, culture, this is how government, this is how you are supposed to operate. This is how a a God-honoring, God-rooted foundation or or, or a society is supposed to work. And so it says, listen, people are going to commit crimes. They're going to do wrong things. So how do you know how to punish them? And so this is where this principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and you see it, life for a life, burn for burn, flesh for flesh. I mean, you see all of those different things, meaning very simply, a crime, the punishment needs to match the crime. It doesn't need to supersede the crime. It doesn't need to undershoot the crime. The punishment needs to match the crime. It's a Very important principle for justice. I want to show you, really, if we rewind a little bit more, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 9, I believe it is. Yeah, Genesis 9. And we see this really important principle for justice. Genesis chapter number 9 and verse number 5, the end of verse 5. This is Noah and his family coming off the ark. The story of God destroying the world, God's judgment, but also God providing a way of salvation with the ark. Verse number five, the end of it. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image, or mankind, humanity, Is the principle there. Here's this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We, sadly, live in a culture that in many cases has abandoned the idea of justice. What it means to have justice served. Let's take a very extreme example, but an important one. And we see it rooted there in Genesis 9. The idea of murder. We live in a a state, we live in a society where someone who murders, they will be presumed innocent until proven guilty, which is a, a nice principle, it's an important principle, and then they will be found guilty, and then they will be put in jail. They'll be put in prison. And so a person who has taken the life of somebody will be put into prison and now society will fund their life they will get meals every day they will get a bed they will get education they'll get recreation they will have uh, a roof over their head for the rest of their life and who will pay for that the very people who were victimized by someone who did who committed a crime who murdered Now, please hear me. What we're talking about is not salvation, right? God saves murderers. There's no question about it. There are murderers throughout the Bible who came to know Christ, who repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. But the principle that we're talking about, eye for an eye, is not, hey, you killed somebody. We're going to put you in prison, and society is going to pay for you to live for the rest of your life. The biblical principle advocates for the death penalty. Now, not as a deterrent necessarily but as an act of justice, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Throughout our history, American history, that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth principle has gone extreme, uh, you know, meaning someone in early parts of our history, uh, you had someone who didn't necessarily preach the gospel and so they had a false, they had a false doctrine or a false teaching. So certain groups would like ostracize them. They would put them out. And then if they came back, it's like, well, hang them. They, they teach a false gospel. Here's what they were trying to say. They were saying that this crime is matched by this punishment. In the reality it isn't. So here's the principle of justice. An eye for an eye. Don't be too extreme with the punishment of a crime. Don't be too lenient with the punishment for a crime. Make sure the punishment matches the crime. Now go back to Matthew chapter number five. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said. So you've heard this Old Testament principle from Exodus, from Leviticus, from Deuteronomy. You've heard this principle taught. Now the people listening to Jesus would have heard that taught by the Pharisees and the scribes. the the experts on the, the Bible, if you will, the experts on the Mosaic law. They would have taught that. So they would have said, hey, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But here's how they were spinning it. They were spinning it in such a way that it had become, as one writer said, a license, a personal license for revenge revenge. Now, when the Bible is talking about it, it's talking about a governmental or cultural principle for justice that was not saying, hey, everybody take the law into your own hands. So if someone does you wrong, you can do wrong against them to the same level. That's how the Pharisees had interpreted it. They had interpreted it as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You did this to me, and I'm going to do that to you. Maybe growing up, you grew up with siblings, and you would get in a fight. Your parents would catch you. Mom or dad would catch you doing something. And often in my life, the first response would be, he hit me first. Right, he hit me first. Therefore, what? I have the right to hit him back. While what did you say? Well, I didn't start it, he started it. If you were mean like me, you would say things like, he started it, but I finished it, right? So in the Bible, you have this principle of eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. The Pharisees had taken it as this license that everyone carried to exact personal revenge. Now, let's be honest. We like Revenge. We do. We use phrases like revenge is a dish best served cold. We'll even tack the word onto revenge and we'll call it sweet revenge. Meaning someone at work did you wrong. And you just watched him. And you plotted and you planned and you schemed and you played a little game and eventually you got them back and you just sat back crossed your arms and smiled and said oh sweet revenge maybe someone who hurt you years later you watch their marriage or their business come to an end we would use something we would say the word karma Now, that is pagan and godless. What we see in the Bible is you reap what you sow. So maybe you see someone reaping something they sowed, and you're like, man, this is awesome to watch. Because we like revenge, we like revenge movies. Stories of one man or one woman who has done wrong, maybe by someone else, they hurt a family member or in business or whatever it is, and for two hours or three hours we watch or maybe even a long multi-episode series, we're like, man, just watching revenge unfold. And we have a fantasy that we could be that person and unload revenge on the people who've hurt us. We like the idea of payback or retribution, or getting even. We like to retaliate. We like to reciprocate. We like to square or settle accounts. We love when the tables turn. We like to hit back, fight back. We like to be out for blood. We like to even the score. We want to go tit for tat. We want to return what a person gave to us. And what the Pharisees and the scribes did is they handed people what they thought was a biblical license to do that. An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. The Pharisees had perverted what that really meant. They had taught a false, skewed, twisted version of the scripture and they had licensed people For revenge. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I want to reiterate a point I made already. Who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to his disciples, his students, his followers. And he is saying, this is the way of the kingdom of God. Jump back to chapter number five and verse number 20. This is kind of a key pivot point in the Sermon on the Mount, especially for this section. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, who were the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. They were the ones that people that presented themselves as being perfect, as being sinless, as having obeyed all 600 plus laws. That's who they were presenting themselves to be. And now Jesus said, unless your righteousness goes above and beyond them, you will never, at the end of verse 20, enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus does some really important points. Jesus exposes the faulty righteousness of the religious leaders and at the same time says, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way of Jesus. And what is so shocking, at least to me as I go through the Sermon on the Mount, is how different Jesus' teachings are than the way I naturally think than what I naturally want to do, what my default would be. So what does Jesus say? Again, in verse 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. Now, before we get into what this means, let's talk about what it does not mean. You're walking down the road and someone physically attacks you. Maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone you've never met before. And so please do not do this, but let's be very, um, let's go just a hyperbole here for a moment. You're getting beat up in that moment and they're hitting you on the right side of the face. And you're like, oh man, what am I supposed to do? Should I defend myself? No. I remember in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, turn and give the other cheek. So as you're being beaten up, you say, hold on. I know you've hit the right cheek. I'm going to turn so you can now hit the left cheek as well. Okay. That is not what that means. Okay. This is not talking about, and Kent Hughes is real clear about this, and I enjoyed what he said. He said, contrary to what we might think, he is not, Jesus is not describing a physical attack, but rather a very traditional. Hear this. So the context of what's happening here. A very traditional, calculated insult. Insult. This is the idea of being insulted with the back of someone's hand. We would say right, a, a left hand or a back handed compliment. So it's really an insult. Hughes goes on to say this calculated insult was to say that you are scorned as inconsequential, that you mean nothing. You mean nothing. Now, who is Jesus talking to? Again, I'm going to reiterate this for the third time. Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. And he knows that they're going to be insulted. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven verse 11 blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely so you're being reviled and you're being persecuted and people are lying about you because you follow jesus Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what's Jesus talking about here? Jesus is talking about the way of Christ. When you are following Jesus, you're not out looking for revenge, but people are going to insult you. People are going to insult you for a variety of different reasons, but they'll often insult you for your stand for Christ. For your stand for truth. For saying the Bible calls certain things sin that you believe are still sin because the Bible says so. You're going to be insulted. Jesus said it's going to be like taking a a hand to the right cheek. You're going to be backhanded. You're going to be called worthless. You're going to be called inconsequential. People are going to say that you're nothing. And how are we to respond? Well, the natural response is, I'm going to break your hand off. Right? You had the audacity to insult me, to call me that. And so what do we do? We go, oh man, eye for an eye. You called me this, I'm going to call you this, and I'm going to insult your mom. Because now we're going to go eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I remember years ago. Uh, I had a, a, a guy in the church call me and say, can we meet? I'm like, yeah. So I, I sat down with him and he said, listen, we need to talk about some things. I heard that you've been stealing money from the church. And I said, what? He said, yes, I've heard that you've been stealing money from the church and buying your wife gifts. And so he, he said, you're using the, the church credit card to do that. And I said, well, first of all, The church doesn't have a credit card, so I don't even know how that would be possible for me to do that. By the end of the conversation, he still didn't believe me, and it was very discouraging. So I went home to Jen, and I said to Jen, I said, I I just got done meeting with this guy. He says that I'm stealing money from the church and buying you gifts. I'll never forget her response. She looked at me and goes, where are the gifts? (laughs) And I said, exactly, exactly, exactly. Right? When someone insults you or someone accuses you, man, what do you want to do? You want to defend. I remember finding out who the rumor came from, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I want to call this person and be like, you're saying this about me? Wait till they hear what I know about you. Right? <laughs> We will go eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. We'll get crazy. What is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is if anyone slaps you, and this is an insult, you turn to him the other also. Hold your spot in Matthew. Go to the right and go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12 is an incredible sequence of just some. I would consider it in some ways like the Sermon on the Mount in Romans 12, because just rapid fire succession of these incredibly pointed statements. I both love Romans 12 and am very convicted by Romans 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. This isn't like, hey, give God an opportunity to handle it. No, it's literally lay down the right to go avenge yourself." So someone slaps you on the cheek, someone insults you, the idea of wanting to avenge ourselves, the idea of wanting to insult back, no, we leave it in the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says, I will repay. Let's go back to Matthew 5. So here's the way of Jesus for his followers the teaching was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So everyone was handed this kind of license for revenge. And Jesus says, but I say to you, if anyone insults you, demeans you, calls you, as Hugh says, inconsequential, endure it, turn the other cheek. He continues, verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well. Your cloak as well. Now, this is, this is interesting. We don't want to jump to the modern um, interpretation of this before we grasp what is actually happening here in Matthew chapter 5. According to Exodus 22, Exodus 22, the outer coat, uh, is th- this, this garment, was recognized to be an inalienable possession, meaning you couldn't take it from someone. It was a possession that you you could not sue them for. It was kind of out of bounds. So what's Jesus saying here in verse 40? If anyone would sue you for everything you have, let him have your cloak as well. Let him have what you are entitled to. D.A. Carson, great commentator of the book of Matthew, says this At stake here is a principle. Even those things which we regard as our rights by law, we must be prepared to abandon. Now, I want to deal with this a little more in depthly, and I'm going to try to be succinct and, and quick here. Hold your spot in Matthew and go to the right and go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 11. And if you got a pen, you can write a few of these things down, but I'm going to go relatively quick here. So as Christians, we, we recognize that we have, if you will, dual citizenship. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So here we are, citizens of the country And we're citizens of heaven. But this is what I want you to hear, and this is really important. That citizenship isn't divided right down the middle. I'm not 50 50 a citizen of the United States of America and 50% a citizen of heaven. And sometimes I think we think that way. Jesus is saying someone could sue you, and you have the right to your cloak. No one can take that away. Jesus is saying, give up your rights. And oftentimes, and I'm very thankful for the rights that we have. I'm thankful that we have the right to assemble and we have the right to meet here and preach the gospel. That's a, that's a blessed right that we have. But oftentimes what happens for us is when our rights come into conflict with the gospel, the mission of the gospel. We abandon the mission of the gospel and we we choose our rights. In Acts chapter number, I said 11, I meant 16, I'm sorry. In Acts chapter number 16, we have the story of a man named Paul and Silas. Roman citizens, which was not uh, a cheap thing at all. Citizens were citizens because they purchased that at a high price. Uh, Some would become citizens because they uh, did some great uh, deed in the military, in battle. But in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel for the first time on the continent of Europe. So just let that historically settle in your mind a little bit. First time the gospel is being preached on the continent of Europe. And so Paul starts to see people come to know Christ. People are hearing the gospel message. They're responding. It's incredible to see. There is a demon-possessed girl that's following around. Paul casts the demon out of her, and her owners are upset. She was a slave girl who was telling fortunes. So they were upset because now they're fortune-telling uh, girl can't do that anymore. And so now their, their business comes to an end. So they were very upset and angry about that. So they got Paul and Silas arrested. So you see it there. Paul and Silas are seized verse number 19 in the market and they are dragged uh, into the marketplace before the rulers. And then in verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them. So here's Paul, a Roman citizen, who's stripped and begins to be beaten publicly with rods. And when they had inflicted, the Bible says in verse 23, many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, having the jailer order them, uh, having the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. Now here's just jumping forward to the end. Paul's a Roman citizen. What they're doing is illegal. What they're doing is wrong. They could get into huge trouble in Philippi for what they're doing. But Paul says nothing. nothing. Like, if I'm Paul, and there's a crowd, and they grab my shirt, and I'm going to say, yeah, you don't want to do that. I'm a Roman citizen. Peace. It's not. I like my shirt. Well, maybe they rip the shirt, and then the rods come out, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But Paul and Silas endure, the Bible says, many blows. Even then, they don't say, stop. I'm a Roman citizen. You cannot do this. They are arrested, beaten, put into the inner prison in the dark, and then they're put into stocks, these incredibly uncomfortable stocks that would lock into their feet, so they're not even allowed to rest or just lay down after being beaten. That night, they're singing. The Philippian jailer hears them singing. It's a miraculous thing that God does. The Philippian jailer comes to know Christ. His whole, he and his family, they get baptized that night. And then the next day, verse 35, when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. go. The jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, Magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, "Um, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Nah. That's how I read that, by the way. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So then they went out of the prison, visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Paul never used his Roman citizenship to protect himself. Paul always used his Roman citizenship to advance the gospel. The gospel. So when our rights come into conflict with advancement of the gospel... The advancement of the gospel supersedes us claiming our rights. Go back to Matthew chapter number five. That's what Jesus is saying there. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. We do not cling so tightly to our rights that we are not willing to let them go for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, just a note about this, again from D.A. Carson. An ordinary Roman soldier could legally commandeer a civilian to help him. For example, to carry his luggage for a prescribed distance. Jesus' followers are not to feel hard done by and irritable in such cases as if personally insulted, but are to double the distance and accept the imposition cheerfully. So here's what the scripture is saying Roman soldiers at this time could come to the Jews because they were ruling over Israel, Palestine at the time, and they could say, You carry my bag. I don't want to carry it anymore. And that Jew would be required by law to carry the bag. It was humiliating. It was demeaning. But you're going to do it. What is Jesus saying? Someone can insult you. Turn the other cheek. Someone can sue you. Don't hold so tightly to your rights that you're not willing to let them go for the cause of Christ. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go the extra. Go the extra. Accept the imposition cheerfully. Verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This isn't, Jesus isn't saying every person that ever asks you for money, you're required to give them money. Spurgeon says it really kind of comically, in my opinion. He says, these precepts or these rules are not meant for fools. They are set before us as our general rule. What's being talked about here, specifically there, is our holding on to our money or our resources as our own. The mentality is what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? not what can I give. This is the way of Christ. Sadly, as I think about this, the way of Jesus is very different from often the way that I think or the way that I react, or certainly the way that I want to react. But what's beautiful about Christ is is that Jesus doesn't just sit on a throne and say, hey you, do it this way. Jesus descends from heaven and shows us how to do it. Hold your spot in Matthew. Go to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 The Bible says for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps Meaning Jesus has paved the the way. He's set out the path. He says, not just, hey, you go do this. He says, follow me, right? That's, That's the call to follow Christ. Jesus is gonna show us by example. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So what does Jesus say there? Jesus said if anyone would slap you on the right cheek, demean you, insult you, say that you are nothing, turn to him the other cheek. In John chapter number 18, Jesus is standing before the high priest. Standing there, and Jesus answers a question, and one of the religious officials slaps Jesus. Again, just imagination. Someone's phone is going off, by the way. You can answer it. I would, be, I would prefer that. Or you can turn it off. That would be good, too, I guess. But if you do not know that your phone is going off, I love you. Okay, here you go. Just help you out there a little bit, all right? So... Jesus is being asked a question, and the religious official slaps him and said, is that how you respond to the high priest? Now, let's just play a little game of imagination. Let's imagine that you or or I were Jesus. Okay? Jesus is standing before a court of men that he has created. the very room that he is standing in, the molecules, the atoms, every bit of tiny material that composes the material, Jesus is the one holding together in that moment. He answers a question, and this guard has the audacity to smack Jesus. The hand... That Jesus has given him the ability to have. The very breath in his lungs that he is using to breathe and empower those muscles. Jesus is the giver of that breath in his lungs. If I'm Jesus, I'm going to go, and you're dead. Anybody else want to take a shot? Does anybody have any questions? And it better be a good one. Right? Right? Because we're just going to want to put on a show of revenge. And yet, Jesus is slapped, insulted, reviled, and does not revile in return. They stripped Jesus of his coat and they nailed him to a cross like a piece of meat. Think about this. Jesus is nailed to a cross and simultaneously in his divinity, he is holding all of the galaxy together. He's holding the very earth together on which these soldiers are kneeling and gambling over his coat. It's the greatest injustice ever done on planet earth. And Jesus does not demand his rights He said to Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would rise up and they would fight for it. He tells the disciples, put away your swords. He tells them, don't you think that I could call thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels and they would be here in a moment and they would smite everybody. Matter of fact, if I was Jesus in that moment, I would be doing a lot of smiting. I don't even use that word, but I'd be like smite, smitten, right? I mean I would just be throwing down because I'm fallen, sinful, vengeful. But our Saviour, He is silent. He allows himself to be stripped and beaten, reviled, and does not revile in return. Suffers and does not threaten. They paraded Jesus through the streets, shaming him, insulting him. And I want you to just ponder about this sickening thing spitting on Jesus, spitting on the Lord. The very saliva that is in their mouth is from God and they are using it to insult the creator and sustainer of the universe. Jesus never thought what's in it for me. Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or clung onto, but emptied himself and made himself of no reputation, was born in the likeness of men, became obedient, obedient to the heavenly father, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, and I'll end with this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Meaning this. We release revenge. We release payback. We forgive. We do things that are so contrary to the heart of fallen man that people will see us and it will be so distinct. That's what Jesus means when he talks about the light of the world. A city set on a hill. A lantern. That way that we respond when we have been wronged. Can be one of the greatest testimonies for Christ. Some of you have been wronged in deeply profound, life changing ways. Peter says, What you do is you entrust yourself and your story. In your situation and your hurt and your sorrow to Him who judges justly. And here's why because we are all thankful that God has made a way for grace. Because my crime of my sin is matched by a punishment of eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's an eye for an eye. That's a tooth for a tooth. And so what does God do? God sends his only son and Jesus goes to the cross and satisfies the justice, the punishment that was due to me. God pours His wrath upon Christ. That's why we live differently. That's why we respond differently. That's why we do not avenge ourselves. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Father, I pray that you would encourage men and women here who are struggling with revenge, the lust for revenge. Thank you for being merciful to us, Lord. God, I pray for those that are enduring insult, ridicule. I pray, Lord, that they would entrust themselves to you because you keep score. So we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.